Daddy's Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. Hello, hello, hello. Is this the way we're going to start it every time with the hello, hello, hello? I don't you know. know what you sound like RuPaul. Oh, right. Yeah, she. That's the way he hello. comes. <laughs> okay. Family Quality Day. I'm so happy. Is that today? It is today, yeah, and we're wonderful. dropping the we drop. Yes, My, we, our we episodes actually are dropped the way Beyonce's albums are. That's the way we are. <laughs> we drop the episode a day earlier just for the sake of family quality. Yes, um, Alex. So in the Gay Dad group on Facebook, someone complained about not sleeping all night because of his two kids. I sleep fine. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I've shirked that responsibility almost entirely to my husband Jan sitting opposite me right now. <laughs> I'll comment on it afterwards, but I want you to read because I told him I'll, I'll read it on our podcast. Oh, uh, this is from Rory from Washington D.C. Can okay. you read it? It's highlighted. Sure, Rory from Washington D.C. writes: the two-year-old was in solid temper tantrum mode from daycare pickup to bed. Ugh. You'd think the bathwater was boiling oil from his meltdown. Once he was asleep, our one-month-old couldn't settle until after midnight. Of course, our two-year-old woke up at 3 a.m. yelling for daddy, and when I told him no, he couldn't watch an episode of Fireman Sam at 3 in the morning, we had another amazing temper tantrum. And this morning, two-year-old continues his nonstop tantrum from wake up until I'm finally able to get him to daycare. We walk in the door, and he's nothing but smiles and, <laughs> and gives me a big hug. These kids are nuts, and I'm just so tired. I know I'm dealing with kids, but with the sleep deprivation, it is really hard not to feel angry and exasperated sometimes. Yeah, Rory. Uh, may I for yeah, a second? You, so, Rory, you can because I, I, I just I read this and I'm like, oh my god, I'm not the only one who feels that, See? and it feels so good. It does. Well, it feels so good feeling so bad, you know. Yeah. Uh, Let's feel bad together so, about how exhausting this th is, and that's what Daddy Squared is all about. <laughs> no, but look, look, uh, it feels good to read what Rory just wrote because uh, last night I had the kids on my own and uh, one of our kids as, you know, we, we just came back from the uh, damned uh, spring break and uh, he's in his reacclimation to school, he's gone a little nutso. And he and I had such a bad night last night together and I felt so guilty about losing my temper with him um he needs the kind of support that he needs but after three or four hours of constant constant tampers and tam temper tantrums and screaming and all that rory man i'm with you i know i don't know if other parents actually really talk about this and from what i see from the comments it's like yeah this is how it is it's a phase blah, blah, blah. and people don't really react directly to how to the feelings to how bad it is for the parent to having to suffer and it's a struggle between yes i'm loving this person i, lo I love my kid but i'm also frustrated and exhausted and and, yep. and annoyed um, and it can all be at the same time. And I think that, you know what, I saw that other people kind of commented, oh, this is, everything's going to be fine, blah, blah, blah. And I just commented, you know what, I feel you. Yeah. I understand exactly how you feel. And this is awful. Yeah. And, and I think that we should vent that <laughs> in that way and let each other say that without judging 
ourselves or each other that we're not good enough parents. I'm with you. And we do that on every one of our episodes. Not everyone, but most. Daddy Squared. Welcome to Daddy Squared, Episode 2, International Family Day, uh, celebrated diversity of LGBTQ families around the world and takes place every year the first Sunday of May, hence the release of this episode a day earlier. Stan Slow is this Stan, Stan Sloan. I'm sorry, I'm talking with a pineapple It's in my the mouth. It's pineapple. It's not the Israeli... He's the CEO of Family Equality Council. It's an organization that is dedicated to creating a world where all loving families are recognized, respected, protected, and celebrated. This year, the organization celebrates its 40th anniversary. Did you know no, that? No, it's amazing that, that, that some of these organizations have been around so long. And if I can interrupt and just say, like we started this podcast and, and I think we're so thrilled that we're doing it. But it is funny because you keep discovering how many people have done so many amazing things before us. And you're like, oh. Oh, we're not as oh we're not as avant-garde as we thought we were plus they're not just sitting here and complaining about the kids well that's true <laughs> no, they did much more than that <laughs> they did um, so we're going to talk about uh, the organization and its work across the United States uh, but we also have another angle that we decided to take on this family equality week uh, the many different ways that gay men can integrate their lives with kids and are not their own yeah you did know I explained correctly I think you did that beautifully thank you actually as we were thinking about International Family Equality Day what's really interesting is we have created a corner in our podcast that's about gay men uh, having kids and that's our focus and of course there are is so much out there that's about that about lesbians having kids about single men gay or straight having kids there's a million different ways of looking at this and there's a real beauty in the idea that family equality is not just about saying hey you know we've found a different kind of family that we would like also to have rights but instead it's about looking at it and saying you There are so many different permutations. There are so many different ways that a child can grow up with loving people, loving adults around him or her. And uh, so as we're looking at this uh, day, we're also looking at people who raise children without actually being the parents of those children, who are so closely involved in their lives. And there's great beauty in that. well yes Stan who was uh, our interviewee today uh, he doesn't have kids but as you'll hear he had a lot of kids in his life throughout his work and his uh, personal life and it's really interesting to see and to learn and maybe get inspired by how he did that yeah amazing before we get to the interview I think it's uh, the right time to get to get word from my sponsor give out you give out <laughs> now oh uh, fine so give it to me. <laughs> I'm like, what are you pointing your pencil at me for? I'll just eat the pineapple uh, and, and you'll just read from our sponsor. Okay? Listen, we, we mentioned it in the last episode, but uh, uh, we're very excited. Don't make pineapple eating sounds when we're going to, our surrogate, our surrogate, our sponsor is not going to be pleased. We mentioned in the last episode that we have a sponsor, uh, Circle Surrogacy, and uh, you know, this is not only great for us, but, but we, we feel really good about the partnership. And so Circle Surrogacy, are you ready to become a dad? Surrogacy is a wonderful way to grow your family. Circle Surrogacy was founded by a gay dad through surrogacy and has been helping gay singles and couples become parents for over 20 years. 
Because surrogacy is an emotional and financial investment, finding the right agency to partner with you and support you on your journey is very important. Circle Surrogacy believes that everyone should have the opportunity to be a parent. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com. You did it beautifully. I kind of nailed that, didn't I? Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll speak to the Circle Surrogacy people and ask them whether they liked it. <laughs> okay. Next time I'm going to sing it. I'm going to play a violin. Oh, no, I'm going to do like a backing vocals. You love when I do or that. Or we could have crying babies in the background. That will make them not to go uh, with Circle yeah. Surrogacy or That's any true. other <laughs> agency yeah. for that matter. Um, okay, let's hear the interview with Stan and we'll come back after. Wonderful. Stan, good morning. Yes, good morning. <laughs> where, where are you at right now? I'm in New York. Our offices are at 32nd and Park. Ooh, yeah. This is Family Equality Week, and I'm so glad that we got to have you with us this week and in this episode. And I have to start with this uh, inevitable question, which is, how come a man who doesn't have kids is in charge of Family Equality Council? <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, it's a great question. About 25 years ago, I started working with the homeless in Chicago um, as an Episcopal priest and moved from there into working specifically with homeless people in LGBTQ for the last uh, 16 years of my career there in Chicago. And I knew I had one more good stop in me in uh, trying to make a difference in the LGBTQ community. And so I resigned at Chicago House and gave myself nine months to, gave them nine months to find their next executive director and for me to find my next spot. And I interviewed all over and uh, this is the role that I felt like I would be able to make the most substantial contribution to. So. Um, at first, I think the board was worried that me not being a parent was going to be a, uh, or a biological parent or a, uh, traditional parent was going to be a disadvantage. Um, I have so much travel and have been, you know, kind of trying to make us much more visible nationally that, um, I think nothing, they're grateful that I don't because there's no way that I could keep the schedule that I do if I had kids at home. Before you go any further, can you just give our listeners and maybe us uh, a little bit of a rundown on what the organization does? Sure. Family Equality Council, we're in our 40th um, year, so we're celebrating our 40th anniversary. Wow, that's amazing. We were founded in 1979 as the nation's organization for LGBTQ people with children. And that's traditionally who we've been um, over the last, you know, the bulk of our 40 years. You know, if you travel outside the United States and you come back into the United States, you get to come back in as a family um, if you're LGBTQ. And that's the result of our work. So we've, we've had decades of experience in changing policies that make, uh, that work towards the full equality of LGBTQ uh, families. Um, over the last uh, two years now, our board has realized that we're sitting on an explosion of LGBTQ families. And in fact, we just did a huge research project um, uh, exploring that. And because of that explosion, we have moved from being the national organization from, for people who have children uh, to being the organization for people who have children, as well as 
LGBTQ people who want to form families. So we're working now equally in both the family formation as well as the existing family support uh, arenas. So I guess it's like a two type of works, right? So what do you do for each group? Yeah, so we, we've got three different departments that help us carry out our mission. The first is our policy department. So the policy work, you know, we're in two major campaigns uh, at this moment, uh, getting some, some pretty bad laws overturned. Um, so the policy work is ongoing and it affects, you know, all existing families right now as well as the people forming their families. Our program, we've got a full program uh, staff as well, and our program department works specifically on supports uh, for existing families. So, so the program department would be, you know, family week every year, which is the largest gathering of LGBTQ families in the world. Um, it, it includes uh, connecting national networks. So we've got over 100 members who our local groups. So the group in Dallas has over 500 families that participate. So we've weaved over a hundred of those groups together and I'm now working with them on best practices and ways that they're working with their local communities that help to form some unity um, among what, what we're doing as well as just to help people do, do what they're doing at the local level better. Um, and then uh, it also includes other things like uh, safe schools curricula, things like that that uh, are needed just because our families are still experiencing a great deal of, you know, um, at a practical level of discrimination um, at, in schools and in other settings. So that's our program department. The third department that uh, enables our mission is our communication department where we're connecting people, letting people who may be isolated geography not feel alone because they're hearing from us. Uh, they're able to participate with us in policy work, in program work, even if they're not in major cities or even if they're not in an area that's, uh, that's easy, easily accessible to, uh, to a community group. So through those three legs, uh, you know, we're, we're serving both Existing families uh, who are LGBTQ as those, as well as those who are trying to form their families. Got it. Got it. I actually really was very attracted to the term that you used just now and earlier where you said um, LGBT people who are trying to form families. Uh, generally, the old-fashioned way is that you make a family. Um, you're, you know, the man and the woman get married and they make a baby and... Mazel tov, and, and you go on. I wonder um, if you can talk a little bit about the uh, the sort of outer edges of the formation of families, people who are, are truly involved with the raising of children but may not have their names on a birth certificate, may not be even legally uh, tied to the raising of children, and what you've seen in terms of the LGBTQ communities um uh, connections to children that go beyond that more you know, standard parenting model. Yeah, if, if it's all right with you, I'm going to back up just a little bit and talk about kind of the more traditional ways of us forming our families and then talk about yeah. people who may not be accessing the traditional ways. Sure. So for the bulk of LGBTQ people, and this is less true for our bisexual uh, friends than it is for 
the people who are lesbian, gay, and and in some in some uh, relationships transgender. Um, so uh, the traditional ways have been uh, foster care and adoption, and uh, then the second way has been the assisted reproductive technology sector. Um, neither of those sectors were made for us. Um, uh, you know, the the foster care and adoptive sector was formed largely by religious institutions uh, that are oftentimes not only not LGBTQ competent, but oftentimes hostile to us. Um, the assisted reproductive technology sector was really founded by straight people experiencing infertility. Um, not necessarily hostile to us, but not necessarily natural to us. Um, our research has shown that uh, 77% of millennial LGBTQ people are contemplating having children and that 63% of them actually plan on having children, which is a huge explosion in the decade ahead uh, for, for LGBTQ families. The goal of Family Equality Council is that every one of those millennials who wants to plan a family is able to do so, and so we're... Uh, we've done a merger with a group called Path to Parenthood that has decades of experience in working with both the, um, the foster care and adoptive sector as well as the assisted reproductive technology sector. And our goal is that uh, we're able to help people no matter where they are geographically, um, no matter what their income level, uh, live their dreams of becoming a parent. Um, that said, uh, obviously, so, so on Thursday, a uh, beautiful, uh, Latina woman, uh, uh, young woman, uh, Natalie is flying into New York, uh, to, to, uh, stay with me and my husband just for five nights. Uh, she's just coming to get away. Uh, and, um, she's one of, for lack of a better term, she's one of my kids. Um, she, uh, I, I met Natalie when I was working at Chicago House. Um, Chicago House is homeless services for LGBTQ people, and uh, we had uh, we had about 50 kids who lived with us at any one time. So at any given time, there were up to 50 kids who, in some capacity, kind of looked at me or at other staff members in kind of a parental way. Um, Natalie has just stayed. Uh, close to me and I've stayed close to her as well as there's other kids as well, of course, but, um, and she's just, she's just a great kid. Both of her parents, um, died of AIDS with us while she was living at Chicago house. And, um, you know, she's just kind of, she's always known. I think that when she, when her locker gets broken into and everything gets stolen, that she can give me a call and that we can figure a way to, you know, how old was she when she when you met her? her? Uh, so God, Natalie was probably I guess it'd be twelve, something like that, when I got to know her. She uh, and her mom was, you know, so her her father died first, and her mom was just an amazing, amazing woman. Who, when her next door neighbor at Chicago House also passed of AIDS, left uh, like an eight year old kid, and uh, Vera, Natalie's mom, took in. Uh, uh, the kid next door. And then Vera herself passed away uh, when Natalie, I think, was 17 and uh, leaving her with this 
dependent and they weren't able to live with us at Chicago house anymore. So I found a donor, a really great guy who put Natalie and her, you know, adopted younger brother up and Natalie raised him, um, as well as basically raised herself. She's just a, an outstanding kid and she's part of my life. And, uh, you know, I certainly didn't, she didn't grow up in my house, but, uh, you know, my mom just died this year, uh, as did my dad. And, uh, you know, Natalie got some of her jewelry <laughs> just because, you know, this, these, and wears it all the time. And I think never met my mom, but I think, uh, kind of holds my mom in her heart, uh, with the jewelry. So, those are the traditional ways that we're trying to help people form their families. And then there are stories of folks like me and Natalie that are, I think, non-traditional ways that LGBTQ people have parented um, through the decades. When you were, when you were quite a bit younger, um, would you have uh, wanted to have children? Where, where'd you fall? So absolutely. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm 55 now and, uh, and with this job, uh, as with all of my jobs, you know, like, and my husband, who's younger, um, you know, Jan doesn't, initially didn't want kids. I think that that's changing now that we're around kids all the time. Um, but, you know, like I kind of let him know that the window had passed for me. And those of us who are in our 50s and 60s and 70s, when we were young, we never imagined that we would be able to get married let alone the idea of us forming our own families. It just, for, for some of us, I think there's a really small faction that it, it did, um, they pressed for it and they did make it happen. But for the vast majority of us, it just wasn't an option. It wasn't something that we thought about. Right. So but I definitely would have been, so I would have wanted kids. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but you didn't. So now I think it's clear <laughs> you you're a pretty prime example of somebody who has um, uh, involved himself in the lives of so many other people who are either trying to have kids or have families. kids and fam- families and the families themselves. Right. The story you just uh, uh, told is is a great one. But I suspect that that can't represent the vast majority of LGBT people who don't have kids. So I guess my question for you would be, what have you seen? I, we're really interested in um, understanding the many different ways that people um, integrate their lives with kids who are not their own, um, for those who really wanted to have kids and didn't, but also for those who uh, didn't really want to have kids and say, yeah, but I still would like to be connected to children in some way. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a really good uh, question. Um, I mean, I do think that coming out gets easier. Um, You know, it still certainly isn't easy for everybody and a lot depends on your economic status, uh, your geographic location. Thankfully it does get easier. Um, One of the things that I think, uh, we lose a little bit and certainly not entirely, but we lose some of the power of is for those of us who came out and it was a struggle and we were often isolated from family members was the, the concept of our chosen family. And I think our chosen families in LGBTQ have traditionally been much stronger than chosen families for the 
heterosexual or straight communities. Um, you know, our chosen families weren't just other gay people. They were aunts and uncles who understood us and uh, still accepted us. They were friends, straight friends and straight couples and their families who took us in or who still um, loved us when other people maybe directly in our families didn't. And I think that that gave us access to, you know, that's why the whole gay uncle, the gunkle, you know, was so strong, I think, for us, was just, this was a, a part of how we parented. And I still think for a lot of us, it's still a part of how we parent. Um, Do you think the, the LGBT community has some sort of a responsibility to the children that are raised by, by LGBTQ people? No, I, I, I don't necessarily feel like we do. I mean, I think, uh, I think our, our statistics of our kids graduating from high school are higher than that of the straight community. You know, I think our parents are doing such an outstanding job overall of raising their kids that I don't think our community necessarily has an obligation to uh, children that are being raised by LGBTQ people. I, I do think... That we have an obligation to LGBTQ youth who are um, who are getting kicked out of their homes. Uh, I think that the youth come to our neighborhoods and the youth uh, look to us for acceptance when their family is denying them that acceptance. And I'm not sure that uh, that we're, we are as of yet doing a good enough job of embracing them uh, just you know no matter, What they may look like or what color their skin is or what economic uh, differences uh, are there. Uh, so there's where I feel we do have a bigger um, obligation than probably what we're living up to. Is there some sort of a list or a place that you can go to to find these kind of people and especially transgender people who are kicked who are being kicked out of their homes? I know that a lot who of needs, who need uh, who support. Need support. Uh, because I know uh, many of, of the gay families and the gay my friends uh, would love to help to those kind of teens, but we don't know how to find them. Does that make sense? Yeah, so up to 40% of uh, homeless kids, homeless youth on the streets identify as LGBTQ. So, so there's no shortage of them out there. And again, when they get kicked out of their homes, They come to our neighborhoods, you know, they come, they come and try to hang out at the gay center and uh, different gay centers respond, some beautifully to them and some not as well. But um, they come to us because they feel like that we will provide the support that their families are lacking. So there are, you know, there is no national organization that has... that database of where those kids are and how they are. But whatever your community is, if, you, if you're lucky enough to have an LGBTQ center um, in, your, in your city, then uh, check with them because I promise you they know where they are. And in many cities, there's LGBTQ-specific uh, youth homeless organizations that are either providing housing or support services for them. Uh, that you could reach out to and find a way to to get involved or find a way to donate um, if if not your time uh, 
you know, donate funding that helps to keep these kids fed and safe and warm. I know, I personally know, quite a few uh, gay men who really don't relish the idea of uh, taking on a child, right? Taking on a child, um, I can tell you. It's, it's a massive undertaking. It's a little terrifying. Uh, it's not a lot of fun a lot of the time, etc. But I think that something does happen where occasionally something pops into their head and they say, yeah, but how can I be part of that world? Can you give us some ideas uh, through, through a, a gay and lesbian center or in any other way of things that um, might spark the imagination of of those listeners uh, to what they can do to interact with kids, LGBTQ kids or not, uh, that is not the same as, yeah, I'm going to take the kid, I'm going to babysit the kid, or I'm going to, you know, uh, spend the day at Disneyland with them or any of those kinds of things, but something like That's good too. Well, that's good too. But I'm saying if you can't handle that, if that sounds like it's a mountain too high, what are the forms of lighter interaction that uh, that still have value for the kid, might have value for this adult who wants to, um, you know, spark a connection with children? What do you do? Always start with yourself. So, so look at what your gifts and talents are. You know, are do you work in the financial services sector? And believe me, these kids have no idea how to do any sort of saving or any sort of any sort of anything that's smart with any funds that they get then you can go to the center and tell them that you have that expertise uh, maybe instead you uh, played college basketball and uh, you can go play hoops with them and just show up and help them in that way look at what you have to offer because because, you know, if, if you just show up and try to do something that you don't have the skill set for, you're going to feel awkward and the kids are going to feel awkward and it just doesn't work. But what do you have to offer? Um, and then try to find out from the provider, the housing provider, the center, what the needs are and how you may be able to contribute and to help to fill those needs for those kids. And of course that could work just as well with the kids of your neighbor. It's not necessarily for a uh, gay and lesbian uh, center type of support. And I think that that's a beautiful, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's true. If you start out by looking at yourself and your interests, uh, there's a, and what do you want to give? And what do you, right. And, and what do you want and what can you give? Uh, it, it, uh, it will probably translate itself quite a bit in the energy that you bring to the, to the kid that you're interacting or the kids that you're interacting with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for, for same sex couples, we know, we know that, uh, the two men raising kids are just as good as parents as a man and a woman raising a kid and the same for two women. But they're, you know, if, if it's two men raising a kid, um, there is oftentimes a lack of a female presence in the kid's life. And so for, you know, a lesbian listener to kind of see her gifts and uh, to get to know the kids and to provide those gifts to to that kids, you know, there's just, there's all sorts of opportunities for how we can help to enhance each other's families. 
Oh yeah, so no, that's interesting too, right? The 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 notion that part of the contribution is uh, exposure to a gender that you probably uh, you as a child might not have as much of because your parents are same sex. Yeah, that's yes. that's powerful. Yeah. Um, ha- so so you have uh, this. She's not a girl anymore, right? She's a woman. This a woman who's coming and visiting you. Um, yeah. Ha- so ha- how many uh, how many kids have turned out to be your kids over the years? Uh, <laughs> probably a half a dozen that I still see and talk to on a regular basis. But over the years, dozens or more than that, you right. know, just, um, yeah. And Natalie, by the way, she's very public with her story. She's lovely. And so me using her name is, is, isn't a problem. Oh, if you're okay. listening. Hi, Natalie. <laughs> Hi, Natalie. <laughs> Related to your, sure. uh, to your role as the CEO of uh, family equality council, you probably interact with so many families and some of them even like go beyond the professional life. Like the, you go a little bit more personal with them. Uh, that is it happen, and what is their interaction with the with kids in these families? So honestly, in this role, I, I have less um, contact with folks' kids than I did say at Chicago House. You know, okay. at Chicago House, we were, um, you know, in in this role, our staff oftentimes gets to let's just say at Family Week. You know, you've got. 700 families there and my god i I have no idea how many kids and our staff is interacting with the kids all the time um for the most part i'm sitting in a coffee shop having coffee with their parents Mm -hmm. talk to talking to them about what all is going on at family equality council so so i wish i wish i had more exposure and i wish i had more contact um but but it's just in, in this type of a role, it's not what I get to do. Tell us a little bit more about the Family Equality, uh, Family Week. Yeah, well, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned it. You mentioned it earlier and we skipped over and it's still a really big deal. This is an annual national event? It is. It's our 25th anniversary this year. So um, this year I believe that we start uh, July 27th and go through August 3rd. Um, Literally 700 families plus will descend on Provincetown. And, uh, you know, we've got activities for the kids all through the week. Uh, we merged last year with Collage, which uh, stands for Children's of Lesbians and Gays Everywhere. And so our kids, our teens have uh, programming uh, that they get to explore the importance of their stories and of their narratives and what they bring to the table as, as children from LGBTQ families. Um, and then parents have all sorts of support, uh, workshops and, uh, you know, and fun things, men's, uh, night out or, or, uh, mom's night out and, uh, whale watches and, you know, just all sorts of activities all through the week, um, interracial family, ice cream social. There are, there's a beach night where we build bonfires and with, uh, as far as your eye can see, uh, you've just got beautiful LGBTQ families out enjoying the beach and, and, uh, the, and the water. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an amazing week. It's, it's, uh, if you're an LGBTQ family coming from Manhattan, 
it's magical. If you're an LGBTQ family coming from rural Tennessee, it may be the first time that your child has ever gotten to play with other kids from LGBTQ families. And it's not just magical, it's transformative. So it's, it's a really, it's a really amazing week. Did you say that you, I thought I heard you say that you've synchronized it with other places in the United States, or is it just the one location right now for this event? So it's just the one location we do have. So what we have done is we've gotten now then over a hundred, they're not chapters, but for lack of a better term, we've got over a hundred chapters spread out across the United States that we are doing some synchronized, uh, you know, activities with so that we can raise the visibility of LGBTQ families. Cause every time we raise our visibility, then, uh, you know, discrimination that people are still facing in red States and in rural areas gets easier. So, um, and in, in many of those, uh, you know, 100 chapters across the United States, we work with them. Uh, we provide like a toolkit so that they can do their own, you know, weekend or activity that invites a larger group uh, to, to, to something. Got it. Do you Great. have also uh, in this event um, a role for like if people who are planning families or? Almost everything I've been talking about are, are existing programs for for ex- people who already have children. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, evening and gatherings across the United States uh, where people can come and find out ma- more about how to form their families. Uh, we also are working and doing trainings with uh, both entities in the foster care and adoption sectors, as well as the assisted reproductive technology sectors that increase their LGBTQ competency and that help us to know who to send people to um, because still too often a gay couple or a gay person's application may get shuffled to the bottom of of the deck uh, because they're at an agency that really doesn't want to be working with LGBTQ people. So we're in the process of developing a strong network and referral systems that deliver people in the hands of competent uh, providers, uh, whether that's through medical technology or whether through that that's through foster and adoption so that they do get to go ahead and form their families successfully. Um, do you ever mix between the groups, the, the parents and the non-parents yet? Anybody, you know, anybody, of course, is welcome to Family Week and, you know, and certainly not every person in Provincetown that week <laughs> that's LGBTQ <laughs> has a family. So, so they're getting exposed. But for the most part, you know, like uh, people who are wanting to form families but don't have them yet, their interests aren't necessarily the same as somebody who's you know, uh, got spit up on their shirt and are just trying to figure out how, how to parent the best way that they can. You just leave the spit up on the shirt, it dries, and then you throw the shirt away. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I wanted to say that uh, um, we've had a few experiences. We, we went to um, a brunch 
at a <laughs> at what is usually a big uh, nightclub. Uh, gay nightclub in West Hollywood. Um, but it was a brunch and it was for, um, you know, uh, the organization pop luck club. Um, and, uh-huh. uh, what was so amazing about it was I would say about, you know, uh, half to two thirds of the people there were parents, uh, and their kids, but there were, there were a decent number of, uh, single gay men there. And, <laughs> you know, we brought our twins and, uh, I guess I was of the perspective that they were all going to run screaming, you know, the the single gay man at the end of the event and say, oh, my God, well, I dodged a bullet by by not having kids. And I was really kind of amazed by some of the reactions that I got from these from these guys who said, you know, do, do you understand what this incredible thing is that you have. Um, and I think that that exposure is, um, at, with all of its craziness, with all the spitting up on the shirts and the screaming and on all of that kind of stuff, that exposure is so meaningful to, uh, you know, to gay men who, as you said earlier, probably never thought that they could do this. Maybe they were a little afraid of doing this and they have every reason to be a little afraid of it, frankly. Um, but I think that that crossover that Jan was just talking talking about a minute ago is really, really meaningful because without seeing two gay men with their kids and experiencing it, it's sometimes very hard for a single gay man to put himself in that, um, in that image, you know, in their own imaginations. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And that's, that's good for me to hear. That's, uh, that's good feedback for us. In, in your own personal life, most of your friends, would you say, are... Uh, childless or parents good question parents by far yeah um, my best friends from Chicago uh, actually my best friends in my life uh, were just here for the weekend and uh, they've got four kids and the oldest of those you know, goes to University of Chicago next year so wow. so you know I've been even though I haven't been doing this work uh, my best friends have all had kids and I've gotten to be a part of their families as, as they've been raising their kids. Uh, and now then even more so, you know, as, as Jan, my husband and I have been forming our friends, uh, network here and cause he, my husband moved from Brazil at the same time as I moved from Chicago wow. and, uh, yeah, it's been great. Uh, but, <laughs> You know, our, our friends here are largely from Family Equality Council, so of course they all have kids, and right. which is, of course, again, why my husband's rethinking his not having kids policy. Right. So, <laughs> so how, how is it like for you to plan a, a night out with, with a parent? Is that easy or difficult? <laughs> our, our single um, gay friends uh, find it very, very difficult. difficult. <laughs> yes. It's uh, no, it's been easy. It's it's uh, we we've been lucky. We've made really good friends here. Um, you know the the guys who actually married us and gave us their home to get married in, and one of them actually is a minister, so he did the wedding. Like their three daughters are lovely and have become you know dear to us, and you know just we we've, we've been really fortunate. I have one one last question about people uh, gay men who don't have kids um, yeah and uh, so here are the two reasons I find that they always give I want to know what you think about that the first reason is I'm too selfish to have kids 
And the second reason is I'm too old for having kids. So, um, so those are two big different reasons, but I would say that, uh, that for folks my age and, um, you know, older or around my age, um, you know, there was, I, I think a, a pain in feeling like that we didn't have that option. And I think that those, the excuses that you just gave that I'm, you know, too old now or that I'm too selfish were things that we kind of told ourselves to kind of ease our pain a little bit. Um, if I was younger, Jan and I would be having a baby, you know, I'm, I would feel certain of it, uh, you know, and I'm not. And, uh, so no criticism of folks who use those, uh, lines. Uh, but I think that we might not be using those lines if we were, you know, a generation or two younger. Yeah. Um, understood. Uh, Thank you so much for your time and uh, and your thoughts. Uh, I think I just wanted to to close by saying that you know every now and then I have the opportunity to meet somebody who has uh, committed their lives the way you have um, to uh, to the lives of LGBTQ people, um, and you know I. Uh, I can assure you that when I was uh, 10 and then 15 and 20, probably 25, I was quite sure that there would be no children in my life. There would be no family in my life. Uh, once I was out of the closet, you know, successfully out of the closet, I said, okay, well, I might find a boyfriend and have a nice time with a boyfriend. Um, and then I look at where I am today. I look at where all of us are today. Um, not all of us. So many of us are today. And um, we have people who've committed themselves to this change to thank for that uh, more than ourselves. And thank you for what you have been doing with thank your you. life. Oh, that's awfully nice. Uh, thank you. I, I uh, feel fortunate that I've gotten to do this work. So. Thank you. All right. Well, with that, yes, off we go. Thanks very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Stan. Thank you. Have a, have a good day, guys. Right. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. Alex. Yes. Are you still crying? Stop it! I wasn't crying. I just think that that it's really powerful and beautiful. And when you consider, you know, what I do for a living, um, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, I'm certainly not spending my life committing to, you know, changing society for the better and helping people like gay men have children, etc. And okay, I, think I think that's you amazing. are, but we'll talk about it later. Okay. Couples um, therapies on Thursday night. I want to quote from Stan. Every time we raise our visibility, discrimination that people are still facing gets easier. I think it's so beautiful and so true to what we're doing, Alex, that 
I, I don't know. I, I just, I just want to hug all of our listeners right now and say, you know what? Let's all tell our stories and, and lift our heads up and feel better because we have each other. It reminds me that our uh, gay pride special in June will have a little bit of that. And I think it's good Aww. stuff. No, I do. And, and look, it's so, it's so obvious. There are so many great examples um, in big, important public life of how people who had bad politics when it comes to gays discovered a son or a daughter of theirs who was LGBTQ and all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, this is not what I thought that a gay or a lesbian person was. It's and just like what's going to happen when our son's going to be straight. Oh. I'm like, oh my God, this is not what I thought. I taught him everything. I taught him Eurovision. I taught him the Kylie Collection series. Uh, well, the problem is that you were focused entirely on Europeans. Okay, Americans, fine. Yeah, yeah, well, it could happen. We should prepare for it. We also touched on the subject, and that's very serious, about the subject I'm very sensitive about, which is the trans youth. I want to commit right now that I'm going to investigate some more about this because... Um, I really want us to know he kind of kind of gave us idea and and I've heard a couple of stories of listeners who actually wrote to us about adopting trans youth right. who were um, thrown out of their homes. Yes, I want to be able to understand exactly how we get to them and how can we help them because these are and the, the transgender people, I think in general are the most vulnerable. A group of the LGBTQ people, I think. It's reasonable. Certainly now they are. Yes. You know? yeah. um, and I think it's our job as, as gay men who are constantly being seen in the media and people are starting more to accept us yeah. to kind of bring along all the totally. others with us. You um, know, if, so. I ca if I can for a second, I used to, years and years ago, I used to question why there was tea in the LGBT <laughs> group. I used to say, well, Wait a minute. It's gender versus sexuality? Well, I, yeah, but I remember saying to myself, look, gays and lesbians, I get it. We, we go with the gender, the same gender that we are. But a trans person, while I am very supportive of their rights, I remember saying to myself, what, why are they grouped together? And I've come to realize that they're not grouped together because of what they have in common in terms of their sexuality or their gender or any of that. They're grouped together because they're treated like shit by society overall, and those of us who get treated like shit by society overall need to hang together. And honestly, I, I don't think I need anything more than that as a reason to be want my letters listed together with theirs in the LGBTQ grouping. If you guys know anything about how to help or, or if you have a story of how you helped a, a trans youth, We'd love to know about it. Just email us at hello at daddysqr.com or uh, let us know at the Gay Dads Podcast on Instagram. Daddy Squared. Family Week in Provincetown, July 27th to August 3rd, 2019. Registration is now open. If you're listening to this after these dates, you can always go to ptownfamilyweek.com or Family Quality Council website and check out what's the next one. That's it for today. Wait a I, minute. What happened to the corner? No oh, corner? So, okay. Okay. Do you want me to do it? I want you to do the corner. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, mostly gentlemen. Well, men, I don't know if you're gentlemen. Ladies. Uh, <laughs> some of you are ladies. Um, 
Uh, Jan has a, 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 a new segment that we would I'm, like to introduce. I'm really n- excited about it. I don't want to say nervous. It's a little Oprah-like. It's uh, Jan's favorite things. <laughs> you get a car. You get a car. Everybody gets a car. <laughs> no, nobody that, gets a car. But um, it's just things that I found uh, helpful in for my life as a gay man raising kids or, or for my kids' life or just to, as a regular parent. These are a few of my favorite things. Today's uh, thing that I want to talk about is the, the potty with a ladder. Potty with a ladder. Okay. So it's called Spudley, Spudley's Potty with Ladder. Yeah, it's an it's available on Amazon, and the reason why why it's important to me is because we try we're pretty much into the spotty training period, and whoever read my uh, blog post about how we failed it, we're still failing it. However, uh, we've tried I want to say three types of potties for the kids to go on, and nothing really works until this one, which is actually an extension to the. Do you want to explain what it is? Sure, it's the. The stairway to poop. Basically, it's a uh, it's it's a, a, a potty that makes you know the the that sits on top of the regular toilet and has steps so that the the kid can actually it's climb actually, up. Yeah, it has one step. Okay, kid can actually climb up and and sit by him or herself uh, and do what they got to do or what we want them to do. Um, and yeah, it's been it's been decently successful. Right. It, has a tendency to reduce the amount of pee that flies out onto the floor if you have boys. Yeah, so and it also that. folds very nicely. So it, it you does. can fold it and you can put it aside. So when guests come, yeah. uh, they don't. Mostly <laughs> they do it because it's I, like always. On the I will say my only complaint about it is that if our boys want to pee standing up. Which they sometimes yeah, they do. Have we have to pull it off, but yeah. it's it's pretty easy to do. And yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you remember the evolution. So we had three before that yes. that didn't work out. We had the one that looks like actual toilet. Yes, uh, when they flushed it, they they kind of play with Makes it, but it was more sound yeah, it, was it was more than a toy. Than yeah. Plus, you have to remove all the stuff uh, to the toilet, yes. which is gross. Um, and then we had the potty extension, which uh, which now we take in the on bag. On the road. On yeah. the road with us. Yeah. That didn't work out. And we had like a, um, a potty, like a small one, very simple old-fashioned one. Didn't work. Yep. They didn't know what it is. They thought it's a hat. Yep. And then we got this, and this works. So it works. Just saves yourself. It's cost nineteen dollars, and I promise you, they didn't pay me for that. Yeah, no, uh, we it's always on Amazon. It's our sponsorships. Uh, <laughs> Amazon choice. So it's also my choice. <laughs> my choice. Well, thank you guys for listening. I think that's it for this episode. Yes, I think that's it. Um, we'll be back next. So from next week on, it's on Monday. So if you are looking for us, uh, yeah. just. Uh, you know. Just a reminder that Game of Thrones only has a total of six episodes for the season, whereas we were going to have far, far more. <laughs> have a good week, guys, and have a good equality week. Yes. Bye-bye. Daddy, oh, wait, before we go, did we say who we are? <laughs> I'm Alex. I'm Jan, and we're Daddy Squared. And we're Daddy Squared. And we have all the professionalism necessary to remember that we didn't say our names at the beginning of the episode. Uh, But you know us already. That's who we are. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right, bye.
becoming a dad, surrogacy is an amazing way to grow your family. Circle Surrogacy has successfully made the dream of parenthood a reality for gay singles and couples from across the U.S. and around the world for over 20 years. The surrogacy process and surrogacy costs can be complex. Circle's experienced staff will partner with you on your path to parenthood. Circle Surrogacy was founded on the belief that everyone should have the opportunity to become a parent, and they've helped bring almost 2,000 babies into this world. Circle Surrogacy makes parenthood possible for gay dads. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com.